I just feel like music and sports and sound, like it's so interconnected. I feel like, you know, sports to me is like a form of movement and like sound to me, like, you know, like sonically, right? Like sound moves. And I feel like the way that like we, we think about, you know, sports are so intertwined with like music and sound. In this episode of Sounding Off, we're joined by Walter Thompson Hernandez, who is, I'm going to say, a creator in general um, across multiple platforms um, and has recently launched um, California Love, an incredible audio memoir that is really already blessing our lives in so many different ways. Um, so I'm really grateful to have you here. First of all, because you, you kind of represent for what we do, like the perfect kind of blend of intersections of all kinds of cultures blending together through things like music, sport, you've kind of done all of that. What does the sound of victory kind of sound like for you? How would you describe the relationship between music, sound, and sport? I remember like playing in college and like, you know, like traveling to different schools across the country, right? Like, you know, like flying in for games. And, you know, it's interesting because like you could kind of tell like a, a school's demographic by like the music that it plays like before the game or like during halftime or like during intermissions right so like we'd be in Montana playing you know at the University of Montana and it'd be like you know uh what's that group called like like don't stop believe journey it'd be like journey playing right and and, and and then like you'd be like somewhere like in LA and it wouldn't be journey it'd be like more like hip-hop but, but I feel like every place that we kind of went to um had its own like way of, of projecting music one thing i will say like i um because i also played basketball in a community college in north dakota um my first year of college before transferring to a d1 and i remember we played um one of the uh, teams in our conference was this uh reservation this like indigenous squad called united tribes i remember like you know we go into the res to, to play this game and like the their intro and the national anthem that they played like wasn't like the U.S. national anthem. It was like this like indigenous anthem, and I, and I remember I was like, wow, this is like the most beautiful national anthem that I've ever heard before a game, and like it got me hyped up in ways that like our anthem had never got me hyped up to play, you know. And on the flip side, you know, you've also sat in and been in the studio with rappers, various musicians, been in that space. You already pulled out earlier a harmonica. We already know <laughs> you're certified on all levels there. <laughs> Can you kind of also think on the flip side, kind of like the athleticism of, of the artistry of music as well. And there's kind of also that relationship in terms of both like late nights in the studio is kind of like having those long practices. Mm -hmm. the way there has to be um, something that kind of, there's a passion behind both of them that kind of have to sustain you uh, physically because these are grinds, both on the music yeah. side and the sports side as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I feel like, musicians always want to be athletes and athletes always want to be musicians right like especially like i don't know it seems like like i, I keep on thinking about that that clip of a bow wow playing kobe one-on-one right right where like where, where kobe's like i'm a great white shark or something like that you know but 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 it's funny because i'm like wow like that's like like such a an accurate exchange between like how like you know prominent athletes and prominent like musicians sort of like there's this like synergy that that exists there because like you're right like 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 folks see each other in one another, you know, like like staying in the studio until like four or five a.m. is the same as like staying after practice and getting up like five hundred jumpers, right? And and I feel like that grind and the energy and the like commitment and that like passion is is, is so apparent. So like of course like m music and sports like have have you know like such a really incredible connection for sure. I'm gonna put you on the spot here. Imagine like 
baseball style walk-up song like what's the song mm. that you want played you're walking up like i don't you could be walking up to your computer about to type out some key about to walk into the podcast booth like what is your equivalent of a walk-up song what's the song that represents you that's a funny question because like i have a friend named um named, named francis who like when i was working on this book on the Compton cowboys book like two years ago he like stayed with me for a few days like while i was writing at, at my aunt's house right and it's just funny because like i feel like i bring this basketball energy to all that i do and, and you know i feel like you know, like most writers, right? Like don't have a sports background. These are his words, not mine, but but he was like, yeah, like most writers are like these like feeble folks who like, like like aren't really hyped and stuff. But like, you know, and I say that because like I was I was hanging out with him in my house and I said, all right, man, I'm about to go like, about to beast these pages, you know? Like, like so, so like, you know, like, like that energy, right? Like that like sports energy is so applied to to, to writing. And, and I feel like the way I look at it, um, it's like, I used to get up like 500 jumpers a day or like a thousand and now I'm getting up a thousand words a day. Right. So it's, it's the same sort of thing. It's the same sort of energy. It hasn't changed, but my walk up song to go back to that is, I don't know, like, I feel like I have different moods. Like probably it could go from like a Curtis Mayfield song to like Kendrick. All right. To like early West side connection, you know, meets like some easy E song. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. One of the things, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, you were sort of struggling a bit to think about this connection. And that's sort of one of the reasons actually we started thinking about this connection is sort of this, this notion of music and sport being so integrated that it's kind of unremarkable, right? You just sort of assume it or it's just mm -hmm. part, part of this, the space and place um, of sport in particular, right? From, from arenas to fields of music, just being a part of that experience so much so that it's like, we don't often take that 30,000 foot step back and be like, oh, these things are, they're sort of separate forms of art, of entertainment, but they are sort of inextricably linked um, and have been historically, even if we see them in different, in different ways. Is that something that you um, have thought about or that convergence in your own work, um, either music specifically, sports specifically, or if you have ever sort of thought about the two, even if you didn't really realize that you were sort of thinking about them in that way? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, I think like while I was playing basketball like overseas and, and even like playing D1, right, like there's this aspect of like of the performance, right? Where, where it's like like we as an athlete, like you are essentially like put on this stage to perform. And like there's this sort of like both this inactive and active, you know, form of communication that is happening between you and the audience, right? Like sometimes it's like call and response, right? Sometimes it's like nothing. Like sometimes your actions on the court dictate a response, right? But I think with like music, the same thing is happening. You know? and, and I think that's why music and sports to me are, are so sort of like, you know, integrated into one another because like there's a stage, there are like actors and there's like roles and characters, you know? And, and it seems like being on a basketball court or like being on a stage, there's this sort of like performance, like this like accessorizing of, of who we are. And sometimes what happens on the stage or on the court is like not sort of, reflective of what happens outside of it, you know? So like, there's a sort of like fictive, imaginative experience that happens. And I think like, I thought about that now, you know, like as someone who, who doesn't really play basketball anymore, but, but like who's really interested in like, you know, in, in writing about sports and, and, and music and all these things, I, it's just like so apparent, you know, like how the performance of, of sports and music to me is like so fascinating. Like my favorite thing about music shows and, and like basketball games, for example, 
is like going to a game or a concert really early you know like like i'm not talking about really early like an hour ahead of time well like i'm i'm an early bird i'm i'm early to everything but like there's something so beautiful to me about seeing an athlete like their warm up process you know like what they do on the court like are they dribbling are they you know like like headphones on, shooting by themselves, like how they're stretching, are they kind of like talking to people and seeing that with like a jazz musician, right? Like seeing them like warm up, you know, and, and kind of like, there's like so much carryover there. And I'm like, man, this is so, it's so interesting. And, you know, like while you're in it, like you don't really think about that, but like, as, you know, someone doesn't play anymore, you're like, wow, like that preparation, right? Like both mental and emotional, spiritual even and physical, it's just it's just so incredible and beautiful to watch like musicians and athletes like prep and, and get ready to perform essentially you know and, and i think that's a really cool thing i think you know the other thing about um you know kind of like the pre i love the idea of the pre-game because there's this warm like literally both sides we say this time warm up right yeah. um, and it's also kind of like what what that means for us is that get to see like the pre, the performance before the performance. I think mm -hmm. it's super super interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that um, is an incredible performance by you is this book, hey. uh, <laughs> Cowboys: The New Generation of Cowboys in America's mm -hmm. Urban Heartland. It's an incredible book. It's set in Compton, California, um, but for me as a Texas girl, um, the little. <laughs> inside me it really resonated with me because i definitely grew up going to the black rodeo i definitely grew up um you see that a lot in in dallas or even in houston like even in urban cities folks will be walking around you know will literally riding their their mm -hmm. horses in the little median like in between the, the streets mm -hmm. um for me a lot of this book really um really spoke to me in terms of um it's a book about la and i love la i lived in la for about six years mm -hmm. but it also kind of has this general um appeal that even pe folks that are from outside LA can really resonate and understand space and place um, through all the beautiful people that you bring into this book. How are you kind of finding these connections that are so true to LA but also have this larger global resonance? I mean you've mm -hmm. both traveled and connected LA culture around the world. How do you how do you do that? I think LA culture is global culture and like you know LA as a city is a global city right and and, and I think like the ways that like LA quote unquote culture gets exported around the world you know like we can make the argument that you know in, like in this day and age with like the rise of social media and like the internet and, and these like digital spaces like it's you it's you're able to see like LA something in some part of the world right like I saw that in Japan with like the whole like lowrider scene and, and wherever I go it's like folks are wearing bands or, or like chucks or like white tees and I'm like this could be Venice you know this could be South Central right so I think like it's never this sort of like explicit, you know, journey that I'm that I'm, that I'm sort of like trying to embark on. But I just try to see, think about myself, and I try to think about like how I think LA is really unique, right? And it's a city that is like so complicated and interesting. Um, but I also think there's like universal themes here, right? And, and I feel like for my work and, and whatever I do, right, it's like it is always about like a certain community, right? About like usually black and brown folks. But I feel like the themes that I touch on are universal, right? And, and, and you know, like themes about belonging, right? Themes about like redemption, salvation, joy, you know, um, community, family, um, hardship, trauma, like all these different things. Like these, these are universal, uh, you, you know, sort of things. And I feel like folks are, are, are seeing themselves in them and you know, but but I'm also biased, right? And I also think like in, in terms of like cultural production, I feel like LA right now is is like 
is leading the wave, you know, in, in terms of like music, we got like, like jazz, Kamasi, Kendrick, you know, I could go on, right? The art scene, the, the creative scene here. I feel like LA is, is like leading this like really beautiful wave of, of, of creative energies. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful, like, I'm, I'm really grateful that like, I'm, I'm helping push that LA narrative forward. I think of you very much as sort of a steward for this city, as a steward for Los Angeles. Um, not only as someone like born and raised in Los Angeles, but also in the way that, that you that you view it and are sharing it with the world. If it's not this like localized locals only, it's like this city is beautiful and it is full of contradictions and conflict and like dreams and desires and like death, all of that that sort of meets in really interesting ways in this city. Um, and for me, I, I think of myself now as sort of a self-described Angelino. I've been here for, for 12 years, but it, I, it's sort of a roundabout way. My parents, my mom grew up on, in Paramount when it was dairy farms. My right. dad grew up in, in Lennox and Hawthorne in the era of like aerospace and the Beach Boys played his eighth grade dance. And for both of them, it was like they couldn't wait to get up and leave Los Angeles because of the, the experiences they had. Um, so I grew up in Ojai and for me it was like I couldn't wait to get to LA and mm. I think a lot of that has been this just a difference in terms of it being such a cultural center and really also falling in love with those those contradictions but also as a way to sort of understand my own familial heritage history right. in this city and the way that, that that shaped sort of like the larger genealogy of my family. Mm -hmm. um, so for you launching um, recently, uh, California Love, this, this fantastic new podcast, which I'm really excited about. And you think of that sort of as an audio memoir, as sort of a love letter to the city, but also this reflection of your own, your own life, um, being born and raised in Los Angeles, of leaving that and coming back to it. Um, so what, what are some of the journeys you plan on taking listeners on through that podcast? Like this whole show, right? Like California Love to me is is like part anthology, part like audio memoir. Um, you know, and, and it's interesting because like for like most of my time as like, you know, as someone who, do, who documents worlds, right? It's like, I've, I've kind of turned the recorder and camera like away from me. You know, like I've like really like put the spotlight on people and communities, like wherever I go, you know? And, and, and I feel like I'm, I'm really proud of that. Like we have to like use our platforms in ways that like create light, you know, essentially. Now it's interesting to like have all that sort of turned around. And now like I'm, I'm sort of excavating, you know, like my own experience and like, you know, asking myself questions about like memory and about like, you know, the city and about my family and, and about like race and identity in ways that like I'm, I'm sort of put at the forefront, right? The whole premise for this show though is transplants have been coming to LA and telling LA stories for a really long time, right? And I feel like it's really rare to have a person of color like from Southeast LA, you know, like myself to be able to be in, in this position to, to tell stories like this, you know, like this show is really like for people who, who look like me and sound like me. I don't look like a traditional like reporter, journalist, writer, whatever, right? Cause I'm not some like old white dude. And I also don't sound like one. Like I have a list, like I stutter sometimes, like I'm a real person, you know what I'm saying? And, and I feel like like people identify with me because of that, you know, because because I'm just like, all right, I'm actually just a regular dude who is really curious about the world. And like, I'd love to ask you questions. So like the episodes are really beautiful. Like they kind of take us on this journey through like my childhood and teenage years and also like present. And like there's episodes about like Scared Straight, which is like an episode about like me being like an LA graffiti writer and like kind of like, you know, thinking about why I did that, what that meant, and like how my friends and I sort of like reconnected as adults. There's an episode about this like phone party line 
that comes out next Thursday that we used to call like as teenagers, like I used to call the P line from like the ages of 11 to 15. And like on the P line, like we all had these, like, it was like catfishing before catfishing, right? Like we all had these, like, these like other identities, you know, I was like a 12 year old kid who was like lanky and like shy and like stuttered and, and stuff. And like on the P line though, I was like this 18 year old man who was a mechanic in Culver City, right? And and like like all my friends, we're all the same age, but we but like you know boys, girls, men, women, we all had these like different identities, right? And and so the P line episode is like it's such an LA story, you know. It, it's like such a beautiful story, and like each episode kind of like is like hyper specific, but it touches on like larger themes, you know, like the P line episode, for example. Like I'm asking questions like why didn't we feel comfortable being who we were, you know? Like what about the world like was telling us that like we weren't enough? you know, that we had to be other people. And it was all like black and brown youth, right? Um, and so, yeah, like these episodes are really personal to me. And it's like, I'm, I'm really excited because I feel like folks are really going to be drawn to them because it's like nothing like we've heard in LA. You know, like there's a show called Welcome to LA on, on KCRW, which is like, it's whack. Like, it's just like, it, no, it's some white dude, you know, who has a history of like going to the hood and like parachuting into, into South Central. And like, I'm just like, I heard that a few years ago. I'm just like, that's whack. Like, that's not it, you know? But I'm, I'm excited about California Love, for sure. No, we're, we're very excited um, to keep listening to it, to, to dive in with you, to learn more about you and your story. And I, I think part of that is we share this, this, this curiosity, this interest in questions of belonging, right? Of belonging in a space, in a place, in a time, in communities, um, and the way that we come to learn about our role or our space or our belongingness for lack of a better word. One way that I think you think about that as we do is through through music. And, and I see that foregrounded in, in the podcast. So you note in the podcast details um, that the title California Love obviously is taken from um, the classic by Tupac and Dr. Dre. And you articulate that this, this iconic record is, is a love letter and an anthem for a generation, which absolutely. Um, but you also reflect on it in the prologue of the podcast as um, I think verbatim you say, a social studies class you always wanted. But never had. <laughs> which I love, I mean, I so loved, and I would love to talk about that for days on end. Oh. So in our own work, you know, we've been thinking a lot about how we're bound to space, bound to place through sound and music, mm. and how music can be explored as a cultural artifact that embodies and encompasses sort of the richness of specific social or cultural moments. So we've turned to sound scholar Brandon LaBelle, who thinks of, of this in terms of acoustic territories of sort of one way to think cool sound in a space. Um, yeah, of this convergence um, uh, of sound and space, particularly with respect to sporting spaces and in the work that we're doing. So in that way, do you have specific mo uh, memories of growing up in Los Angeles where your experiences of watching and or participating in sports were characterized by particular sounds, songs, mixtapes, mix CDs? Yeah, yeah. Um, California Love, like, as a song, I, I remember that song coming out and like so many of us just being so excited. Like it, it just fills you with this energy, with this like, that was like the height of the like East Coast, West Coast rap beef, right? And like, to me, California Love was like just a stamp of like approval and pride, you know? And and like sonically, like it did something to you to like, like when Tupac's voice comes out, it's just crazy. Like like his energy is just so beautiful and it's so grand and immense. And, and I feel like, you know, that all really, like I remember being in these like UCLA basketball camps as a kid and like I used to have to prep for the camps you know I used to record like all these different rap songs on the radio you know how how back in the days if you went to the radio and, and press stop record so I used to run to the radio and be like oh the song's about to come on and like press it and pause it 
I, I still want to have like two or three cool like tapes to listen to at, at basketball camp, like a sleepover camp, you know? So, so I feel like, and it was all rap. It was all like Tupac, like John B and Tupac songs. It was like some East Coast stuff, but like, I think that's like such a great term, you know, um, like songs sort of provide like a, a sonic stamping, you know, essentially, right? And, and I feel like California Love was, was, was a song that just like, you know, let us know where we were at, but also like how we were living, you know? And, and I feel like musicians to me and rappers, right? Like are journalists, right? Like these folks are, are scholars even, you know? And I always say that, I always felt like I learned how to write by listening to like outcast songs, right? And like how descriptive like the Equimini album is, you know, like the art of storytelling part two, you know, the song Equimini. I'm just like, yo, the descriptions are crazy. And like that, that's how I learned how to write. Like I didn't learn how to write, you know, by like reading books. I learned how to write by, by listening to rap, you know? And and but 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 it's like we're not taught that in schools and, and, and it takes you being an adult to realize like, well, actually like that music, you know, and, and some of it is, is like problematic, right? For sure. What we can extract is like how sort of like effective it was and how hyper focused it was and like th their attention to like details and, and, and descriptions to me is genius right and i feel like i'm still doing that like i'm still learning through music you know like learning how to write through music i used to tape songs off the radio i had like one tape so i, I would have to like go back and like when they, whenever i got tired of a song I'd like rewind and like re-record but like when you're waiting for this one song to come on or He's waiting. I, don't, I don't know if there's any relevance here but like when I used to call to the radio station to request a song, I don't even know, oh, I don't know these kids. I would call and request songs. Wow. And they, you know, they would have like the top eight at eight or like you could like call in and be like, let me request that new song. And then like, you get enough, you know, you, all your friends are calling in and requesting the same song. New song's um, gonna <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I got to hit record. I got to go run and hit play record. It's finally coming on. Like these kids and they're streaming, they don't, they don't know the real They don't get it, right? Like I feel like we're the last generation to even think about like that. And, and to me, it's like, that form of, of ephemera, right, is so beautiful and it's so like, it's just missing, you know, like it's, it's so tactile, you know, like we don't have that, like everything's on Spotify. And I'm like, I love the access that we have to so much music, but a, a big part of me misses that, you know, like misses like having to do that and struggle to to like call the station, you know, do all that. <laughs> So it's cool. busy uh, and you gotta like you just keep hitting redial they don't know about hitting redial they don't know about redial, <laughs> they don't know about redial. Right. anyway i i just that really like just took me back because i just imagine the effort of like having those songs and then just like knowing like the energy of being like this is gonna crush tomorrow when i have this on like i'm gonna be in the gym this is the song and so i think that's such a beautiful kind of um, joining of music and sport in a really vivid way. You know, one of the things thinking about acoustic territories, and I'm thinking about even just seeing you, the, seeing like the photo that goes with the podcast of you, you're born and raised, which is a really important um, brand in terms of thinking about Venice, um, thinking yeah. about how Venice has changed. And it's for us, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so for me, like just even seeing you, seeing, seeing you in that shirt as your, your header is already doing some political work, right? Because of what that represents. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us, we've also been thinking about Venice, obviously music and sport converging on the boardwalk. People are in the pickup basketball games, people are out surfing, people are skating, um, roller skating, skateboarding, all in this space. And everyone has either music they're listening to while they do it, they're playing music out loud. Um, and so, you know, Venice is just this really rich space. It's mythical. Um, both in terms of how it's represented in popular media, um, but then also thinking about, you know, what happens when uh, we have something like Silicon Beach come in and what that means in terms of how the space shifts. You know, how do you think about 
neighborhood and spatial specificity of like all these either smaller territories within the larger kind of LA um, kind of sphere that we think about? How do you kind of maneuver through different neighborhoods and think about um, how these spaces change and morph yeah. over time? Off top, like I think about displacement and it's not just a displacement of people and communities, also a displacement of sound, right? It's also like a, a displacement of like the two or three Mexican families who like had to move from, from this community, who used to have like parties every Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you know, who like used to play like corridos, like super loud, you know, in, in a really beautiful way. Like that sound is also gone when they leave, right? So, so I think for me, it's like the, this idea of physical absence is is important to know, but like this like sonic absence too, you know, like when I think about like a place like Venice, a place like like Echo Park, Silver Lake, right? Like like places that that you know now sound a lot different than they did back in the days, right? And, and I think like that's something I actually have never thought about. Like your question just like prompted that, but it, it you know it is true. Like when I think about the like changing of these communities, I think about like how the changing musically, right? Like how like a lot of these like new transplants are like coming to LA and, and sort of like, you know, like policing people's music options in, in, in ways that like really creates like a really sort of interesting, harmful dynamic in communities, right? Because like sound is the way, and, and, and you know, like, and, and I do understand how like sound pollution works, right? Because that's also a thing. But, but to me, it's like, you know, so much of the conversation like isn't revolved around like what happens when a community loses its sound, you know, and, and, and not just its, its voice, but its sound. And, and I think like the sound of, of LA today is like so much more different than like when I was growing up, like there's even less cars riding around, like bumping their music, you know, in ways like when I was coming up in Huntington Park, it was like every other car was like blasting loud music, like blasting it. And like, now it's like sometimes on the weekend, like you hear like, Two, two or three cars, but it, it just seems like, it, it seemed like that was like such a thing. Maybe it was like something to do about like a projection of like some identity or something like that, but I, I don't know, but it, it just seemed a lot more popular back in the days. And I feel like now, you know, like policing impacts communities of colors, but I think like policing people's music choices is also a thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. We're thinking about that a little bit, uh, just to detour for a moment, with respect to roller skating on Venice Beach, specifically mm -hmm. in the way that the sort of roller skating, street skating, freestyling, roller skating community on Venice Beach decline coincided with the LAPD beginning to police amplified music when genre switched from disco to gangster rap. And so 100%, you switches in genres that then are about policing bodies as much as they are about policing, other, right? Or policing bodies through, the, through policing right. sound. Listening is as much about listening for what's not heard or what's no longer there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So thinking about that loss. Um, to shift a little bit, thinking about loss differently, but also about different spaces in LA, we feel super fortunate to be in Los Angeles. Now, Eugene, we have an extension, but for this project to have started in Los Angeles as sort of the central landscape or acoustic territory that shaped this project for us, because LA is so rich in creativity, um, cultural convergences in the way that, that we've talked about, both in terms of like entertainment industry, a key fixture in the music industry, right? Home to world-class athletic franchises. Um, so I know we share a deep affinity for the, for the Lakers. Um, <laughs> uh, and one of the future directions for this project is to dig into to the Lakers 
specifically thinking about the way that Jerry Buss sort of reimagined NBA games and brought conceived of entertainment, music, performance as central to the athletic and sporting mm. experience, um, both for athletes and fans and artists who were sort of fortunate to, to have that stage. Um, so one of your pieces that really struck us this year was the reflection you did um, for the New York Times uh, in the wake of Kobe's passing, thinking about murals and, and art to sort of honor his legacy and importance to this city. So what, what kind of resonance did you feel in writing that story in terms of his impact on the city or impact on yourself? Yeah, it, you know, it's funny because like the, the, um, the fourth episode of my show is about Kobe. Like there's an, a Kobe episode and um, like that episode sort of like, you know, it starts off kind of like heavy, right? It, it starts off like I'm, I'm, how old am I? I was like, it was 96, I was, I was 11. Um, and like, there's this like police officer in my room because my mom and her boyfriend were fighting again. We were all fighting actually, all three of us. And like, there's a Kobe, um, like Los Angeles Times, I'll never forget this. Like, there's an LA Times like newspaper on my desk. And like, I think that was the same week that Kobe got drafted, right? And like this cop, you know, who, who's in my room is like trying to make small talk with me. And the episode starts this way, like, um, cop is like, what do you think about Kobe? Like, he's way too young, right? And I'm like, no, you know, I think it, it, um, Kobe's gonna be okay, right? And, and so that's sort of happens. But like, in terms of that story that I wrote, I think it was like a story that, you know, was was conceived of like, you know, pain and loss, to be honest. Like, I I wrote that story on my phone in like 30 minutes, you know, like in the note section, I was just like, Ooh right, let me knock that out. And I feel like that was a story that like so many of us, you know, like LA is known for its like public art, you know, and its murals. And I feel like LA artists, like what's interesting about LA artists is that when they grieve or when they feel things, they usually take to the streets, you know? And, and I feel like in, in terms of, of comparing that to other cities, I would argue that like, maybe we see that more because of like the urban sprawl, there's like more room to do that. And, and, and there's more, and, and, and there's more walls. But I feel like that, that story was, was really important because like it, it sort of tied this idea of like art and Kobe and basketball and grieving and healing all in one, right? Absolutely. Okay, so obviously Kobe might be in contention now that we know that there's also this incredible podcast episode, but who is your favorite LA athlete? And I'm saying LA, like they can be from LA or they can be a representative of an LA team. Man, that's such a hard question. Um, a sport or like any sport? Any sport, any sport. Um, yo, I used to love uh, Nick Van Axel a lot. Like, <laughs> Nick Van Axel was just like so smooth and so cool. That that whole Lakers team, like they weren't the best, like especially like there was like one or two years when they had like, they had like Sean Rooks, they had like Eddie Jones, they had Nick Van Axel, they had like Corey Blunt, I think. This, uh, um, I always love that, that 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 Lakers team, but I feel like my favorite LA athlete would probably be, you know, um, it's gotta be it's gotta be Kobe. Like like it, it just has to be Kobe. Um, I feel like Kobe meant so much to me. Um, like meeting him and and playing basketball against him and like scoring on Kobe was like one of the highlights of my life, literally my life. And like the episode like you know explains all that. And yeah, I just feel like. He did so much for the city and, and he was complicated, you know, like really complicated per person, right? For, for, for very, you know, obvious reasons and reasons that I think we, we can all agree with, right? 
but I think um, those reasons can can coexist with like how he made a lot of us feel, especially early on. I feel like his daughters could have been my like little sisters, you know, and and, and I really appreciate seeing them. So it's got to be Kobe for sure. So I'll ask you the same thing for music. Who's your favorite musician from Los Angeles? Any genre? Brent Wood, probably. I don't know this person. Me either. Oh, oh, it, oh it's like it's like classic oldies. Like he's like a legend. He's like an LA legend. Y'all gotta look him up. Yeah. Um, yeah. um it, it, it's it, it's that one song like me and you. <laughs> um, he's great. I love like. I think Etta James is from from LA too. Like Kendrick, of course, is 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 my favorite rapper, my favorite musician right now. Kendrick definitely. And, and like the book I wrote, you know, that's like a version, a, a book version of Good Kid, Mad City, essentially. You know. Thinking about music and sports together, is there an athlete or team and artist collab that you would love to see happen, or that you've seen happen and have appreciated? Well, like you brought up Born and Raised earlier. I think uh, they just did a collab with like the Rams, the LA Rams. They did like a pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like that felt really like organic. Like it had like the rapper Buddy. Um, it, it had like a bunch of other folks. I just want to see like LeBron doing more LA stuff. Um, I feel like he has like such a big voice in the world and I would love for him and like Kendrick to like collaborate on something, you know? I feel like it'd be really cool and really interesting to see that. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of Sounding Off, brought to you by The Sound of Victory. And big thanks to Walter for joining us. You can listen to Walter's fantastic new podcast, California Love, wherever you get your podcasts. For more stories, soundtracks, and behind-the-scenes looks at music and sport, check us out at thesoundofvictory.org or on Instagram at thesoundofvictory.org.